So a while back at a youth group, I, uh, I asked a question uh, of, our, of our teenagers. Um, what's the difference between a, a believer, a follower, and a disciple? What's the difference between? Now, there's an argument that you can kind of say they're all kind of the same thing in some level. They're, they all connect, and, uh, and that's for sure. But, but if we're going to try to distinguish between them, what's the difference between a believer, a follower, and a disciple? Our very intelligent and know-how-to-answer-question teenagers came up with, well, a believer believes, a follower follows, but a disciple, they're kind of next level. Is that right? They're kind of, you know, a little above and beyond, I think, is kind of what they came up with. So they, they answer questions all day at school. They know how to answer questions, right? But on some level, that's true, right? There's a, you know, a believer believes, but that may be where it ends. Because there's a lot of folks that I know that, that when you talk to them about God or their faith, you know, they say, I believe there is a God, but, but they don't ever come to worship God or they don't pray as much as they should or read Scripture like they should in order to grow in that relationship with God. They, just, they believe there is a God, and that's just kind of where it stops right there. But, but then there's, you know, followers. A follower, that makes sense. A follower follows and that's better than just being a believer. That means you're actually being a part. You're following Jesus. That sounds good, right? I mean, we sing songs about following Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus, right? That's, we sing songs about following Jesus, and that's a good thing. But sometimes I think following isn't quite enough either. There's a story in the Bible where uh, Jesus and, and his crew of people, the, the, the inner group, they all got in a boat. They were tired. They were hungry. They'd been ministering to people and healing them and, and, and doing all this wonderful, this ministry, and they were just wore out, so they were looking to go and rest. So they said goodbye to everybody, were they hopping in a boat, going to the other side of the lake, but the people, they, all round to the, they ran to the other side of the lake, they beat them there. So when the boat comes in, they're standing there waving, Jesus, remember us? We were over there, but now we're here. It's, it's us. We followed you over here. And that's great that we follow, that the, that committed to following Jesus. They want to be with him. But when you read through the stories, these people were being healed. They were being encouraged and ministered to. They were being fed, literally and spiritually being fed. But when you read the story that happens next, the thousands sat down on the ground, and there was just that small group that actually went and fed them. The disciples went they had the fish and the loaves, right? And it was the small group that went out and actually participated in what was happening. The followers were just kind of there when it happened. And so it's not a bad thing, I don't think, to be a follower. We're supposed to follow Jesus and his example as best as we can. But at some point, I think we've got to go to that next level, which is a disciple. A disciple, if we can pull up that, uh, that definition, Dustin, a disciple actively seeks ways to continue the work of Jesus Christ by bringing God's love and goodness into the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. A disciple doesn't just believe. They believe so much that they're willing to follow Jesus completely in their lives. But then there's this part of their faith where I can't just sit and watch what's happening. I need to be involved with what's happening. That's what Jesus is calling us to be as the church. In Matthew, at the end of Matthew, when Jesus is talking to his disciples, right before he ascends, he says to them, go out 
and make believers. That's not what he says. He doesn't want people to just believe. He also doesn't say, go out and make followers. He doesn't say that either. He says, go make disciples. Go and make disciples of people. Go out and teach them and build them up and encourage them so that they will go out and they'll participate in the work that I'm charging you to go out and do. Raise up more people to go out and to continue the work of Jesus Christ by bringing God's goodness and love into the world around us. I think there's a lot of believers... I know there's a lot of believers. There's a lot of folks I talk to that they, they just don't get active in church, so they're not a part of church, but they believe that there's something bigger, there's something more, there's a purpose to all of this. And then there's a, the church, and I'm afraid, I have this fear, I will say, that a large portion of the church, the big church, a large portion of the church are just followers. We're just kind of here when, being there when things happen but there's a small portion of the church that's actually stepping in and being a part of what's happening, helping make it happen, helping to bring the goodness of God into the lives of the people in our community and all around us. Last week, um, we started reading out of the book of James, and I made the comment that, uh, the, that the letter of James, I think, ought to be titled just How to Be a Christian. I think that ought to be the title for the book of James. And, um, and the reason is that as as the, the early church started forming, they were made up of Jewish people, and they knew what it meant to be Jewish. They knew the, all the heritage and all the, the laws and the rituals. They knew what it meant to be Jewish, but they had to learn, what, now what does it mean to be Christian? Because we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that come. We're putting our faith not just in the, all the Jewish traditions taught to us in, the, in the, uh, the ancient scriptures. Now there's something new happening in the, in the world around us. There needs to be something new happening in the world within us as well. Life should be different now that we follow, we're following this man named Jesus that we believe to be the Son of God that has came, died, and rose again. There should be something new happening within us. And so James writes this letter to these Christians about how to be a Christian. These new Christians that, that were Jewish, here's what it means to be a Christian. And part of what he says is in chapter 2, he goes on to say, it's not enough to be a believer. He says, in fact, even evil spirits believe that there is a God. Even all the, the, the evil, evilness that is in the world, the evil powers, they believe there is a God. So believing is not enough. And then he even says it's not enough to be a follower. To just have faith but actually not act upon your faith, that's not good enough either. James says that actually if you have faith and aren't living it out through good works and bringing God's goodness, he calls that a dead faith. Just a faith that isn't active, that's not good enough either. We're supposed to go to that next step. We're supposed to be bringing goodness and love into the world around us. So then we get to chapter 3, and this is where our scripture is this morning. We're going to read in James chapter 3. I'll begin in verse number 13. If you are wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover it up with, with the truth, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. 
So he's talking about living our lives based upon a, a certain wisdom. But he says that to make sure that this wisdom is not a, a selfish wisdom. It's not a self-driven, a, 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 a selfish, motivated kind of wisdom or a biased kind of wisdom. Understand where, where our wisdom's coming from, that we are choosing to, to speak these words or choosing to do these actions, choosing and how we live our life. Make sure there's this, this wisdom that's guiding us, but let's be careful what wisdom that is because there's a chance it might be an earthly unspiritual or demonic, just meaning absent of anything that God is involved with, kind of wisdom. Verse 16, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above, the wisdom that we get from God, is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving. The wisdom that comes from God into our lives loves peace. The wisdom we get from God is gentle at all times. The wisdom we get from God is willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. Not just doing the good needs, good deeds, we're seeing good good come into the world around us through the good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere or genuine, authentic, real. Verse 18, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. This is the word of our holy God given to us, the children of God. Amen. So James is, is talking about in our lives that there's a certain way we're supposed to live our lives. And, and we all, you know, get wisdom, we get knowledge from somewhere. We get, we get ideas, we get uh, facts, we get information that helps us decide how we're going to live our lives, how we're going to make decisions, how we're going to just be in this world. And he's, he's got this warning, well, make sure we understand where this wisdom is coming from that is guiding us in our lives. Make sure that it is a godly wisdom. And here's kind of the test. Is it pure? Is there any selfish motive behind it, or is this a pure wisdom? Does it love peace? He stresses that word peace an awful lot, and there's a reason for it. There's a definition that I found for the, for the word peace here in the Bible, and that if we could pull that up real quick, the definition, there's a couple of different ones. One is peace just means the opposite of war and conflict. The second definition means a state of tranquility, right? Just having peace, a state of tranquility. But the third definition of peace is health, welfare, prosperity, and every kind of good. That's an interesting definition of peace, that, that peace is, is this state where there is health, where there is welfare, where there's prosperity. Not just, oh, I'm making lots of money, just prosperity, joy, good things happening, right? Peace is a moment where there's every kind of good happening, which is completely opposite of that other wisdom. Then verse 16 says, brings every kind of evil. This is the peace that God brings, or this is the wisdom that God brings into our lives. This is what, what God is putting into us as Christians, as, as the followers of Jesus Christ. 
He's filling us with this wisdom that comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how God comes and speaks to us. That's how God comes and guides to us. That Spirit of God comes and guides us in our lives so that we can go and bring this godly peace into the world around us. That's what we're supposed to do, which is interesting. Jesus told us that a long time ago. Back here in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 9, Jesus says, God blesses those who work for peace for they will be called children of God. The children under the God are the ones that work for peace to come into the world. Those are the children of God. Not just I believe, not just I think Jesus is the Son of God, and so, so I kind of follow his teachings a little bit. No, the ones that are actively working to bring peace into the world, making peace happen, they will be called children of God. This is what we're supposed to be doing as the church and as Christians, as true followers of Jesus Christ, going out and actively seeking ways to bring God's goodness and love so that there'll be peace in the world. That's a key characteristic of God's kingdom, is peace. And so we're charged to go out and to do this, to go out and bring this. And he says, here's some ways that we can go about bringing peace into the world through godly wisdom one is this, the fact that you love peace, not conflict. I don't, do we love peace? Now, you're in church, so we would all say, oh, yes, I love peace more than conflict. But if we would really look at our interactions, maybe even look at what we click on on the Internet sometimes, I'll be honest, if I see a feel-good story about where everything's going good and here's all this, oh, you're not going to believe this crazy mess that's going on over here, which story are we going to read? We might click on that one about the crazy mess because there's a part of us, I think, in our human nature, we kind of like conflict. We kind of want to see what kind of mess is going on because maybe when we see what kind of mess is going on in other people's lives, maybe we feel good about our own life that, well, my life isn't that messy, so I must be doing okay then. There's a part of us, I think, that likes conflict, a part of us that likes disorder and chaos because when we see how bad it is over here, we don't feel quite so bad ourselves even though we're not truly following Christ where we need to follow and then being actively involved in trying to calm the chaos, calm the disorder, resolve the conflict. So first, James says, it's peace-loving, that we love peace more than conflict. Then it says, it is gentle at all times. The wisdom of God, the Spirit of God moving in this is gentle at all times. Now, that's a tough one, I think, for some of us, because sometimes we like to just speak the truth, and I just say it like it is, and if someone needs to hear something, then I, I don't mind being a little blunt and telling them, this is how it is, you know? But the problem is, if we say it rude, if we say it in a way that isn't gentle, it may not be received, the way it's intended to receive. If we say it with, with a rude and kind of snarky attitude, well, they're already defensive and they're responding back and there's no resolve that comes from that. Now, there's certainly a time when we need to be very, very direct, I think, and what we stand for, certain things, certain beliefs that we have. We shouldn't be too compromising on certain things as Christians and what we believe to be the gospel truth. There are certain things we need to be very direct on. But I think for the most part, we can handle most things with gentleness. You know, there's a story in the, in the Bible where Jesus is talking with the Pharisees. And a lot of times, every time I've ever seen in a movie where this comes up, or uh, if you look at pictures that are supposed to be this moment where Jesus is talking with the Pharisees, 
and he's calling them hypocrites, right? Woe to you, hypocrites. He's always got an angry look on his face. Sometimes he's even pointing at them, right? Woe to you, hypocrites, right? And we kind of assume that that's the way Jesus is putting those Pharisees in their place. He's, he's being very direct, maybe angry, in their face a little bit. But if we were going to describe Jesus, one of the things we might describe him with is gentle, right? Jesus is supposed to be gentle. And if God's wisdom is gentle at all times, well, that tells us Jesus was probably gentle at all times, even when rebuking. So maybe he wasn't quite so angry saying, oh, you Pharisees, woe to you. Maybe he was saying, woe to you. You're hypocrites. You're actors. You say one thing, but you do another. Maybe his tone wasn't quite so angry as what we a lot of times think that it is. I love the red letter Bibles because it tells me when Jesus is talking, but maybe when we see those red letters, we assume that means anger, you know, because we associate anger in red sometimes. I don't know why we do that because it does not say Jesus was very angry and he was pointing fingers right in their face, calling them out. It doesn't say that, but that's the way we often read it. But if we'd go back and read Jesus' words and try to imagine how he said this with gentleness and kindness, that actually he's not saying it trying to drive them away from God. That doesn't make sense, right? Why would he say something in, a, in an aggressive, abrasive manner that's trying to push people away from God? No, he probably said it more gentle and loving, trying to pull them closer to God, right? And if we think about our conversations, if we immediately get heated and a little louder and a little bolder in our words, a little more aggressive with our words, the chance of us actually making any connection is not as good as if we would stay calm and have gentleness in the way that we're talking to folks, right? Gentleness. That's actually a fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, Paul talks about that when the Holy Spirit is within us, strong within us, there's certain things we should see in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Right? There's nine. I got nine. Do I have the right nine? That's a question. <laughs> but um, those are things that are supposed to be evident. If we truly have God's presence living in us, bringing us wisdom on how to live our life, we should see those things starting to happen in the way we interact with each other. Because if we have love and joy and peace and patience and all those things within us, a kindness and a gentleness within us, then the way we go and interact with the people around us is going to be loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, gentle. The way we enter into this world is going to be all of those things. So in essence, the way we're living our life is a living testimony of the love and goodness of God coming into the world. And that's what we're supposed to be. So James says that godly wisdom is gentle at all times, in all situations. Because even if we disagree, even if I think there's something you've, you've done and you need to be told that you've done something wrong, even in that moment, there's still a gentleness I can approach you with in the hope that you will see, you will understand. Because the next one is, when the wisdom of God is with us, that we are willing to yield to others. 
There's a couple definitions on that that I saw. Um, one of them was don't be stubborn. Or willingness to yield, that means you can't be stubborn. A willingness to yield also means willingness to listen to others and knowing when to digress. Knowing, okay, this conversation is getting heated. There's nothing fruitful going to come from this conversation, so now I need to back off. Being able to, to, to know if I win the argument, I might lose the fight sort of thing, right? Another one that, that I saw was being teachable. A willingness to, to yield means being teachable. Willing to say, you know what, I might be wrong. How often do you hear that in our culture? I might be wrong. We don't hear it very often. And I think part of the reason we don't hear that is because when we go on Facebook and we're posting, here's what I believe and here's why everyone else is wrong and this is why I'm right and here's what it's all about, I think we're a little afraid to be teachable because what if I am wrong? Well, now I've got all of this that I've been saying this whole time and now I've got to go back and say I was wrong? How embarrassing is that going to be? Or even not on Facebook, maybe just with the people that we talk to on a regular basis. We're always taking this side. This is where we are, and this is the right side, and this is where we need to be, and everyone needs to be on this side, because this is what I think, and here's the information I've got, the, the stats, and, the, and all the things that I'm seeing, and based my, based my opinion on this, this earthly kind of wisdom, this wisdom I've got from other human beings that are giving me some information. I've, I've built it all, and here's what I believe. But now what if I'm wrong now I've got to go back, and I'm going to be a little embarrassed to say, well, actually, I think the other side now. That's a little embarrassing, isn't it? So I think there's a little bit of us, we're hesitant to be willing to yield. We're, we don't want to be teachable, because what if I'm wrong? Then I've got to tell everybody I'm wrong. How embarrassing that is that going to be? But this is the wisdom of God, realizing I don't have it all figured out. I'm going to learn as I go. And I might see things from a different viewpoint, which completely changes the way I approach certain things, certain people, certain, certain topics. And the wisdom of God is always full of mercy. That when others realize they were wrong, that I'm not going to point a finger, well, I told you the whole time, right? When others realize that, that they need, that they need to, to be forgiven, I'm willing to do that. I'm not going to hold it over them, some kind of grudge that we're holding over them. The wisdom of God, it's, it's the Spirit is just coming to us, and the whole point is just to bring God's kingdom into this world, right? The kingdom is near. The kingdom is at hand. It's here and now, and it's a place of peace, not conflict. It's a place where there's love, not hate. But if I try to approach this from, from some kind of human perspective, and I see people on TV that give me some statistics. I, I do my research and I look things up and this is what this, this, this trusted person, these are the facts they're giving me and here's how I'm going to base my understanding on this issue, on this, on this position. I'm going to come to it from this perspective. I still need to understand that's a human being telling me the information they found. And that's fine. That's wonderful. And certain things, especially right now, there's a lot of topics we have that are based on the information we're getting from, from professionals or experts. And that's fine that we have that. But when it comes to actually having conversations with other people, the wisdom in which we speak, the wisdom in which we act, that's got to be wisdom from God, guided to us by the Holy Spirit so that I can bring peace and love and goodness into this moment. Even if we disagree, there's still peace. 
there's still love between us. But if I want to approach it of here's why you're wrong and why I'm right, if there's some kind of an ambition, selfish ambition behind my wisdom, that says it causes every kind of evil. And I don't think that evil means murder and stealing. I think it means evil like there's hatred between people. Because the discussions we have, when there's not peace and gentleness, it builds conflict. It builds hard feelings. It builds hate between us. And that is evil. That's what he's talking about. That our wisdom that we choose to live our life by is either bringing peace and goodness into this world or it's not. And that leads down a path that is only conflict, disorder, and hatred. So here we are. We can read through these things. Godly wisdom loves peace. It's gentle, willing to yield to others, full of mercy. It shows no favoritism. We can read through all those and say, well, that's not the culture we live in, obviously. But at some point, we need to look at ourselves and say, but I'm a part of this culture. So what am I doing to make it better? If this is not the culture that we are living in, how are we, the church, allowing it to continue? Or how are we going out trying to make it better? Well, if the culture that I live in is this way and I'm a part of the culture, then I've got to go and be out there with godly wisdom. I've got to go be guided what God is bringing me to bring into this world. And maybe I disagree with your thought, with your opinion, your point of view, but I still love you. And we can disagree with me being gentle. And we can disagree with me willing to hear your side. I may not agree when you're done, but I'm at least willing to listen because I'm open to the fact that I might be wrong. And you might give me some new perspective. But when we're done, if you don't, then I'm going to still offer I love you and I disagree in the most gentle of way so at the end of it, we can shake hands and part ways and look forward to seeing each other again. Peace. In God's kingdom, that's what we're supposed to be bringing. So I think at some point, as Christians, if we're going to look at this culture that we live in, maybe we need to stop and say, God, I realize there are moments I'm not very gentle. God, God, I realize there are moments that I'm not very kind. I realize that, that I'm not very loving sometimes and frankly God sometimes there's times I don't want to be loving there's times I don't want to be kind there are times where I don't want peace I want to have that argument if, if I'm being honest there are moments where I completely fail to be a child of God that's supposed to be bringing peace into this world and if I can just take a moment and confess that to God and lift that to God I believe that I can also receive grace that's going to help me do better next time. I believe that God says, I'm going to bring my spirit to you. And knock the microphone off your ear. <laughs> but God's going to come and fill me with, with this presence that's going to help me to be joyful, loving, patient, peace. It's going to be all those things that I'm supposed to be. So when we look around our culture and see 
that it's not going the way that, that we think it ought to be going, then I think we've got to look at ourselves and say, so what am I bringing into this world, right? It's like that, that song. Here you go, Dustin. It's like that song, uh, Man in the Mirror, that uh, if you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make a change. So that was either Michael Jackson or Batman that said that, or, or maybe both. Um, maybe Michael Jackson is Batman. <laughs> But there's truth in that quote. If we want this to be a better place and we can look and see that this is not what James is talking about, then how am I going to go and make it better? Well, maybe I've got to start with me because maybe I'm actually adding to the conflict rather than bringing the love and goodness. I'm going to invite the choir to come up. And as, we, uh, as we're going we're gonna to close with this song, Take Time to Be Holy. And I think this is a, a good song for us to really just stop and think, well, what am I bringing into the world around me? Am I gentle at all times? Am I, am I peace-loving? Am I, am I doing my best to bring God's goodness and love into the world? Or am I actually contributing to the division and the anger and the hate that is in the world? As God's people, we're supposed to be peacemakers, bringing God's love and goodness to those around us.